All right, Jeb, we'll say good morning. Let us begin. We have a beautiful, beautiful daf ahead of us today. Our share this morning is dedicated by our Talmud Torah sponsors, Paul and Kathy Pollack, in honor of their grandchildren. May they be Zochemer Hashem to become the best version of themselves. Also, the Talmud Torah sponsorship by Daf Yomishin, the Shchasorafushlima for Yehuda Ben Michal. Our week of learning sponsors, Jeff and Karen Cohn, in commemoration of the art site of Karen's mother, Mrs. Clara Oxman, on the 18th of Av. Our Daf Yomi sponsors today, Natan and Leah Berry, in commemoration of the art site of Leah's father. Tzvi Sharazan, Eliezer Avram Tzvi, Ben Psachia Leib Zechorn Levrach. We hope that in the merit of our Tamu Torah, all of the Nishamas Nishav, will have an Aliyah, the families in Nechama, and all of those who need a Rafuah should have one together with Kol Chol Yisrael. I will say we have a beautiful daf, really fascinating daf ahead of us today. Today's daf is Lamit Ches 39. We are picking up Emirat Sashem on the bottom of Lamit Ches on with Beis Amar Abaye. Let's pick up six lines up from the bottom. Just also take the opportunity to thank Rabbi Kamen Akiva, to thank Rabbi Richter for giving the shir last week while I was away. Baruch Hashem, it's wonderful to be back uh, in person with all of you. And with that, let us begin. So, Amr Abaye, so we'll see some very interesting cases concerning the nature of the knas. Amr Abaye, Ba'ala Umesa. What's the in the following situation? A man goes ahead and violates a woman. And she dies. Now, we'll say the case that we're talking about when she dies, if you look at Rashi, the case over here is just the progression of events. A man violates a woman. Again, so father, generally, this is a process that's handled by the father. The father will take the man to Beisdin. Beisdin will go ahead and adjudicate the case. And if the man is truly guilty, then he will pay the penalty payment. In this particular case, what happened over here is as follows. Man violated the woman, Ruvain violated Rachel, but before Rachel's father had an opportunity to bring the case to the Beisdin, Rachel died. Rachel died. Again, I want to be clear, not died a result of the, of the violation, because that, that's a separate case. Now then suddenly this has transformed from a violation case to a murder case. This is talking about she, Rachel was violated and then unfortunately she was, uh, she was hit by a bus. So, so death totally unrelated to the events that occurred beforehand. What's the halacha? Potter, Reuven, the perpetrator, is Potter from paying the knas, Potter from paying the penalty payment. Why is that? We've actually seen this before. Shinemar, because the Pasik says that the violator will pay the avi hanara, the father of the girl. Girl naara meaning that she's alive. And not to the father of the deceased. So a drasha, a drasha on a pasik that the penalty payment is only paid to the father of the victim when the victim is alive. Okay, so the Gemara says, Something that Nabose Abaye, Abaye sees this as a clear, straightforward limur, right? Straightforward halacha. Namely, again, halacha lamaisa, man violates a woman, woman dies. Violator is not subject to paying the fine. So the Gemara says that which was obvious to Abaye was actually not so obvious to Rava. The Gemara says, The Rava asks an interesting question. Yesh beger bekever. Yesh beger bekever. Is there, literally translated it means, is there the concept of bagros in the grave? Now let's go back for just a moment. We know that in the process of a girl's maturation into womanhood, there are three, there are three stages, as we'll see in just a moment. There's when she's a kitana, a na'ara, and a bogeres. 
Now, we know also something very interesting, which is that based on the Drashan Psukim, the din of the din of, of ones, the din of, uh, of violating, when a man violates a woman, the whole halacha that we have, namely that he has to pay the penalty payment, only applies when? Only applies when? When she's a na'ara. She's a na'ara. They both say that's just based on the gzera sarcasm, just based on the psukim. So in other words, the penalty pay, now, we'll, we'll qualify this in just a little bit, but the, what we call the 50 silver piece, the 50 shekel penalty payment, only applies in a situation where a man violates a na'ara. Okay, so here's the following situation. Look at Rashi for just a moment. Yesh beger bekeber. Look at Rashi. Imesa b'na'arusa, ad shelo amdabedin, v'yigizman bagrusa bekeber, mi chashiv beger or lo. So we'll say, what the question seems to mean is like this, that Allah ha'lamaysa, do we look or do we, do, does the clock, does the clock keep running even once the girl has passed away? Now, what's the nafkamina for that, Jabal Sayyid? Take a look at Rashi. Yesh beger bekeber, last Rashi nadaf. So I'll say, here's the interesting case. Here's the interesting case. What happens, if we take a step back, let's leave it, remember, how did this whole sugi start? Whole sugi started was Abai came along and said, Ruvain violated Rachel. Right? Rachel died before the court case had an opportunity to get started. So in that particular situation, how do we pass in? How do we pass in? That ultimately Ruvain is off the hook for the penalty payment. Xerasakasov is a technicality. Vigimara says, by the way, for, for Abaye was Pashit, for Rava is a question. Because Rava brought up the following situation, right? That's how Debai Rava, Rava was asking, Yesh Beger Bekeber. Rava say, here's the question that Rava is asking. Ruvain violates, Ruvain violates Rachel. Rachel is a Nara. They go ahead and they begin the court process. Right? That's what Rashi points out over here. I'm sorry, they did not yet begin the court process. And then what happens? Rachel dies. Rachel dies. Now, what, now watch this. Now even though Rachel died, Bezdin continues the process. By the time they go ahead and they reach the verdict that Ruvain was guilty of violating Rachel, Rachel would have been 13 years old. 13 years old. 13 years old is what? Is what? Is a Bulgaris. And I both say, we're going to see something interesting. There's a whole confluence of events happening over here. We're going to see that. Let's take a, one more case. One more case. Ruvain violates Rachel. Okay? Rachel's alive. Rachel's alive. They go to Beisdin. Takes Beisdin a little bit of time. By the time Beisdin goes in and passes the verdict, that Ruvain is chayiv for violating her. Rachel is 13 years old. She's a Bulgaris. So now Ruvain is going to pay the penalty payment. Who gets the penalty payment? Who gets the penalty payment? So we haven't seen this yet, but we're going to see in a few days from now that if the verdict is passed when Rachel becomes a Bulgaris, she gets the money. She gets the money. She gets the money. Okay, so remember, even though obviously she was violated when she was a Nara, but now when a girl becomes a Bulgaris, she's a full-fledged adult, so therefore, again, her own personal autonomy, she gets the penalty money. Here's Rava's question. Now, now watch Rava's question. Rava's question is this. Ruvain violates Rachel, right? So Rachel dies. Rachel dies, but Bezdin is still adjudicating the case. By the time Bezdin adjudicates the case, had Rachel been alive, she would have been 13 years old. 
So here's the Shaila. Yesh beger bekever. Could it sound strange, but can a girl reach Bagros in the grave? In other words, how do we look at Rachel now that she has passed away? Do we look at the age she would have been had she been alive? And had she been alive, she would have been 13. And therefore what? Therefore what? Who gets the Knas? Who gets the Knas? Now, Rachel. The problem, of course, is Rachel's dead. So who would get the Knas in her stead? Let's say she left behind a child. Which we're going to challenge. Let's say she left behind a child. So maybe the Knas would go to her heir, to her child. Or do we say, ain't beggar the kever? No, 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 no. There's no bagros. There's no bagros in the grave. So essentially, once the girl dies, what happens? What happens? The clock stops, and she essentially halachically remains forever a nara. Which then means that when the Beisdin finds Reuven guilty of, her, of, of violating Rachel, who gets the money? Who gets the money? Her father. Now, I will say, before we even delve into this case, what's the point of the Gemara over here? The point is, you see that according to Rava. Rava seems to feel that even once the girl has died, the proceedings against the violator can still continue. So that stands in contradistinction to Abaye. Because remember again, Abaye started by saying, once the girl died, once the girl died before the basin proceedings got started, what's the halacha? What's the halacha? We're done. We're done. In other words, at least we're done with the penalty payment. We're done. We're done. You point to Gemara saying over you see according to Rava, Rava says, no, we're not done, because what is Rava, what is Rava trying to understand? Rava's asking, at the end of the day, who will get the penalty payment once they go out and they reach the verdict? If you say, yesh beger bekever, that a girl could become a bogeras even in the grave, then her heir, her heir, her child, will go ahead and get the penalty payment. If you say, in beger bekever, the father will get the penalty payment. But what you see according to everyone, or you see according to Rava, is that the proceedings continue even once she is no longer in this world. To which the Gemara says, Do we say a girl could become a vulgaris in the kever and therefore ultimately the penalty payment goes to her child, her heir? Or maybe no, there's no bagros in the grave. And therefore once she passes away, again, her age is kind of frozen in time. Her age is frozen in time. But say, you know, one, of, one of the interesting questions that, uh, that is often asked regarding the Tchiyas HaMesim, right? When Mashiach comes, Emeretz HaShem Tova Umetzlachos, right? Bekarov. So on his resurrection, what age do people come back as, right? In other words, it's an interesting, it's, again, this is an interesting, do you come back at the age that you passed away at? Do you come back as a baby reborn? Do you go interesting? So it's just fascinating that almost the better this yesh beger bekever is, is there the concept of halachic aging in the grave or not? Or at the end of the day, ultimately again, does death say what you, your status at the time of your death is the status that's locked in? So the Gemara says, one second, both say top of lamates. So both say let's let's analyze this. So we we have two things going on over here. Number one, a fundamental machlokes as can you initiate proceedings against the violator? Once the, once the girl has died. Abaye says no. Rava seems to say yes. Now in Rava, then there's another question. What's the other question? Yesh beger bekever. In beger bekever, do we view the girl's age? And do, we look, do, we look at the girl, do we look at the girl's potential age at the time of the verdict? 
And therefore, again, had she been alive, she would have been a bogeres. Therefore, the penalty payment goes to her heir or a begeber No. Once she dies, her age is locked in. She's forever looked at as a nara. And therefore, if the violator is found guilty, the penalty payment goes to the father. So I will say, if you hold yesh begeber that means that by the time they reach the verdict, the girl would have been a bogeres. So therefore, it goes to her heir. And the Gemara says, who's her heir? Her child. The Gemara says, her child? Umi ma'abra? Could this girl have become pregnant? In other words, we'll say, remember again, we're talking about at the time of violation, the girl could not have been more than what? Been more than how old? 12 years old and six months. So the Gemara, let's just be less than that. Vatani, we learn Rabbi, Vatani, Rabbi, we come Nachman. Rabbi, we thought before Rav Nachman, Shalosh Nashim Misham Shosbamoch. We'll say, had this Gemara a number of times, twice, a couple of times in Yavamas already. So, Shalosh Nashim Misham Shosbamoch. We'll say, there are three women who are permitted to use a moch. A moch is a cloth. This was a Talmudic form of birth control. So we'll say essentially was this is a barrier method of birth control. The cloth could either be inserted before, before relations. The cloth could also be inserted after relations, but obviously not as effective. But Lamai said this is a barrier form of birth control. So the Gemara says, three women are permitted to go out and use birth control. Eiluhein, these are the women. Kitana umeuberes umeinika. A kitana, who is a girl who is a minor, Mu'uberes, a woman who is pregnant, Minika, a woman who is nursing. Why? Kitana shemetis aber vetamus. So we'll say kitana because it would be dangerous for a kitana to become pregnant. Right? Her body cannot handle that, that type of event and therefore she would die. So because for a kitana, it would be sakhanas nefashos, ultimately she's permitted to use this moch. Mu'uberes, Mu'uberes, a pregnant woman, shemetasa ubra sandal. I will say there was this, there was this Talmudic fear that ultimately, again, a woman who was pregnant could become pregnant again with a second pregnancy. And therefore, halacha lamaisa, it could go ahead and impact the first fetus. Again, I will say, j- just to point out, so you could have situations where a woman who is pregnant could have an ectopic pregnancy. But lamaisa, again, remember, whenever you see these fears about chazal regarding, regarding science, so again, this is based on their understanding of medicine. It's not halachic, it's, it's, it's societal, it's contemporary. Again, a pregnant woman, they were concerned that if she become pregnant again, it can negatively impact the first fetus. And ultimately, So a nursing mother, they're concerned that if a nursing mother becomes pregnant, it will diminish her milk supply and ultimately negatively impact her baby who she is nursing. So the Gemara says, the Ezri Kitana, by the way, it's a Kitana. So, Mibat, Mibas, Achat, Esrei, Shana, Vyom, Echad, Ajtem, Esrei, Shana, Vyom, Echad. So, what's a Kitana? A Kitana ultimately is from 11 years old in one day to 12 years old in one day. Pachos, Mikan, Vyesser, Alkain, Mishameshes, Kedaka, Balvachas, Tibrabi Meir. Less than that age or older than that age, she could have relations normally without any type of protection. Because again, younger than that age, apparently there's no way she's going to become pregnant. And I will say, again, just to be clear, Chazal are not condoning or not encouraging these types of relationships. We're just talking about from a pure halachic perspective. So again, older than that age, obviously she's old enough, at least Bismana Gimara, to go out and become pregnant. The Chachamim say, in all of these cases, birth control is not permitted. Kaddish Baruch will have Rachmanis. 
on these women. So we'll say, this happens to be a fascinating sugya. This is the sugya of birth control. And whether or not, again, birth control is permitted or not. And in the, in the halachic discussion of birth control, there are kind of two, two, two different schools. I mean, there's more than two, but two different schools of thought. The first Gulf of Rabbi Meir's school of thought says that when pregnancy poses an active danger for women, halacha lemaisa, again, the use of birth control is going to be permitted. Now, again, I will say in the world of birth control, there are also different forms of birth control. Here is actually interesting. The Gemara is talking about a very a significant form, like a barrier form, which is considered to be a, a heightened form of birth control. Okay. Then you have the school of thought of the Chachamim. And the Chachamim say, pregnancy always carries risk. There's no such thing as a risk-free pregnancy. Pregnancy, by definition, constantly and consistently poses a mortal danger to both the mother and the fetus. That's the nature of it. When it comes to things that are inherently dangerous, but they're also part of day-to-day living, we employ the concept of Shomer Pesayim Hashem. Shomer Pesayim Hashem means Hashem watches over the simple people, which essentially is the halachic license to engage in dangerous activities because they are considered to be parts of everyday life. Remember again, driving a car. Driving a car, I don't know what the statistical probability of chas v'shalom, getting into a fatal car crash is every time you get behind the wheel, but it exists. But it exists, right? That, that risk exists. I say, if it exists, then how are we committed to drive? Because at the end of the day, there's a concept of I have to watch over my health. I have to stay away from life-threatening situations. So how, how am I allowed to drive if driving carries with it a statistical probability of risk? And what's the answer? It's part of activities of daily living. And we'll say, contrast that with skydiving. I will tell you, if somebody were to ask me, is it halakhically permitted to go skydiving? The answer is unequivocally no. No. No, there, there's, why, why play, I, I, but, I love it, but it's less risky, skydiving is less risky, da, 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 da. that's fine, but jumping out of an airplane is, is a risk that is just unnecessary, you don't need to do it, if your life is not exciting enough without skydiving, see me after this year, I'm happy to give you plenty of other suggestions for things you could do, right, so I'll say, but, but La Maisa, this is very important, because this is kind of sharp assumptions. The Chacham say, this is really fascinating, hashkafically and halachically. The Chacham essentially say, even in these situations where pregnancy poses a danger, birth control is aser. <clears throat> birth control is aser. Right? Why? Because by definition, getting pregnant is, we'll call it an activity of daily living. It always comes with risk. But yet we do it anyway because it's part just of the activities of daily life. And I will say, I want to point out that there are poskim like this. The Sat Merav, Zechah was known as a kanoi against the use of birth control, even in, even in situations where there might have been a potential risk to health, because of Shon Pesayim Hashem. Incredible idea. I will say, so okay, let's, let's get back. So here, here's our problems. Let's go back. Let's just retrace our steps. So Rav is asking, do we hold yesh beger bekever in beger bekever? If you hold yesh beger bekever, that a girl could become a bulgaris even in the grave, that means if the basin finds Ruvain guilty of violating her, halacha lamaisa what? The knas will go to her offspring. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. How could she have offspring? How could she have offspring? So maybe she became pregnant when she was a nara and gave birth when she was a nara. Here's the problem. 
People say, how long is Narus? How long is Narus? Six months. A girl can't become pregnant to give birth in six months. There's only six months between Narus and Bagros. Maybe Chazamant was like this. There's no less than six months between Narus and Bagros. But what? But what? Could be more. Could be more. Gemara says no. Ha Ella Kama. Or both say Gemara use lashon of Ella. Ain be Narus lebagris. Ella shishichadoshim. Ella means what? Ella means what? Only, only. There's only six months. So therefore, I will say the idea, the idea of a Nara having a child who could potentially inherit the knas seems to be impassable. Ella Gemara says you're right. Ella the Gemara says I'm um, sorry. Ella Ochikami Barile. This is what Rabbo was asking. Yesh beger bekever. Here, here was Rav's question on both sides. Yesh beger bekever. Upaka av. Do we say that halacha lemaisa? There is beger bekever. Both say so. Beger bekever means again. I just want to be clear. This is talking about a specific case. Ruvain violated Rachel when she was in Nara. Rachel dies, unrelated to the violation. Bezdin begins its proceedings, finds finds Ruvain guilty. But at the time of the verdict, had Rachel still been alive, she would have been 13 years old. She would have been 13 years old. So do we say yesh beger bekever? Do we say that a girl could become a bogeris from the grave? As, do we say that? So listen to this. So this was Rav's question. Yesh beger bekever upaka av. So both say, do we say yesh beger bekever? And what that means, yesh beger bekever, is the father loses his rights. Now I both say, what happens in this case when the father effectively loses his rights? What happens? Who gets the knas? Who gets the knas? No one. No one. So I will say this becomes what we call mamon she'im latovin. Money for which there is no claimant, which effectively means that what? Ruvain doesn't have to pay. Ruvain doesn't have to pay. Levashi says, paka av, paka tvi'as av, v'zach av lo b'mashe v'yodo, she'im bal dino kayim, u'knas lav mamonu lo risho la'avia b'taras yirusha, so remember again, it's very important. This is a knas, this is a penalty payment, not malon. Knas is not inheritable. Knas is not really inheritable. So therefore, in this kind of case, if you hold in beger bekever, right? I'm sorry, if you hold yesh beger bekever, that means ultimately, again, the father, right? The father really has no rights. And therefore, halacha lamaisa, halacha lamaisa, Ruvain doesn't have to pay anyone. Olduma in beger bekever, filopakav, or maybe not. Maybe a beggar bekever, in which case we still look at this girl, Rachel, as a Nara, as a Nara, and therefore, when the Beisden finds Ruben guilty, Ruben will have to pay the father. So we'll say that was the Shailah, that was the Shailah ultimately again of Rabbah. So we'll say, Mar Baravashi Bailehachi. So we'll say, so I just want to point out over here, what we have right now is a Machlokes Abaye and Rabbah. According to Abaye, Abaye holds once the girl dies, the process for the Knas is shut down. There's, there's nothing more to talk about. There's nothing more. So according to Abaye, there is no discussion, yesh beger bekever, ain't beger bekever. That, that discussion doesn't move. Once, once Rachel dies, once we're talking about over here, it's the case where Rachel died, when? When? Before the court proceedings began. Because if Rachel died after the court proceedings began, that's, we'll deal with that case separately. Right now, she died before the court proceedings. And Sabai says, if she died before the court proceedings began, we're done. There's no knas. There's no knas. Rava, 
seems to hold that we could continue the court proceedings even after she died, even after she died, or I should say, we could begin the court proceedings even after she died. And therefore, according to Rava, I have the Shaila of Yesh Beger Bekeber or Ein Beger Bekeber. So Mar Baravashi Bailehachi, Mar Baravashi asked the following Shaila, Misa Osebagros, or Ein Misa Osebagros. So we'll say, Mar Baravashi asked, he asked a little bit differently. He said, does Misa affect Bagros? Does Misa essentially affect instantaneous Bagros or not? To which the Gemara answers, Teiku. Okay, to which the Gemara ultimately says, we're not sure. Fine. So, we'll say again, well, I just want to point out the way we paskin, the way we paskin is we paskin like Abaye, and therefore the Raman paskin is if the girl dies before the proceedings began, there's no knas. There's no knas. Again, because the Rambam accepts a Joshua ben Asan la'aviya na'ara v'lo la'avi mesa. So therefore, both say, once you pass in like Abaye, then obviously, the whole discussion of yesh beger bekever, in beger bekever, is, is irrelevant. Is irrelevant. So that's how you pass in. If Reuven violated Rachel, and Rachel died before the court proceedings began, then Halach Lamay said, in that situation, there is no knas penalty payment. Again, like I said, we'll see on that Mem Aleph, what do we do if she dies after the court proceedings began? We'll get to that. Next case. Rava asked the the following kasha. Here's an interesting case. Ruvain violates Rachel. Ruvain violates Rachel. And then what happens? Rachel has Erisim with another man. Right? Rachel, Rachel decides that she's going to marry, she's going to marry someone else. So she, right, Rachel accepts Erisim from Shimon. So we'll say, so, so now what's so what's that? So now what's the shaila? The shaila is who gets the penalty payment? Who gets the penalty payment? Does Rachel get the penalty payment because now she's in Arusa? Or ultimately again, does her father still get the penalty payment? Mahu, Miksiv Does the Pasik says you shall does the Pasik say you shall give to the father of the girl who is not in Arusa? In other words, just because Rachel is in Arusa. Why would that preclude the father from going in and getting the penalty payment? I'm sorry. So we'll say, yeah, we learned in a brace, so we're going to see this later on as well. If Reuven violates Rachel, and then Rachel gets married, not to Reuven, to someone else, to Shimon, to Shimon, and we'll say the halacha is, Rachel gets the penalty payment. Rachel gets the penalty payment. So does the Pasik say you shall give to the father of the girl who's not Nesua? In other words, why don't we give it to the father in that case as well? To which the Gemara Satay, here's the fundamental difference. This is very important. We're going to see these concepts a little bit later on as well. We'll say, if Reuven violates Rachel, right? Reuven violates Rachel. And by the time the Basin gets to adjudicate the case, Rachel is a Bulgaris. Who gets the money? Who gets the money? Rachel. Why? Because we'll say, what does Bagrus do? Bagrus removes a girl from a father's domain and gives her her own autonomy. She is her own independent person. So for some reason, Bazin only got around to passing the verdict when she's a Bulgaris. Ultimately, again, she gets the Knas money. Same idea, I'll say. What does Nisuin do? What does Nisuin do? 
Nisuin marriage removes a girl from her father's domain and gives her autonomy. It's true she's in her husband's domain, but gives her own autonomy. Right? So therefore, I will say, it's, it's, it's interesting. Therefore, halacha these two cases are similar. So therefore, if Ruvain violates Rachel, and then Rachel becomes a Bulgaris, Rachel gets to keep the Knas. Similarly, Ruvain violates Rachel, then Rachel gets married, Nisuin. Then Bezin passes the verdict, Rachel gets the Knas. Because those two states, Bagrus and Nisun, are similar. They both vest Rachel with complete autonomy. Contrast that, contrast that, Ela'irusin, mi kamafki mirshusei da'avlagame. I will say, when a girl accepts Erusin, does that fundamentally remove her from her father's domain? And the answer is no. After all, Hatanan we learned, Naraha me'urasa, avia ubayla, mefirin la nidareha. They both say, what did we learn? That ultimately, again, when a girl is betrothed, when ultimately she has Erusin, they both say, how does it work with the revocation of her vows? Both her father and her husband have the ability to do so. So you see from here that Erusin, Erusin, does not go ahead and vest a girl with full autonomy by removing her from her father's domain. So both say, Halacha Lamaisa, three halachas come out of this. Halacha number one, if Reuven violates Rachel, and by the time Bezdin goes ahead and passes the verdict, Rachel is a Bulgaris, she gets the money. Halacha number two, Halacha number two, Reuven violates Rachel, Rachel then gets married, Nisuin to Shimon, Bezdin passes the verdict that Reuven is Chayiv, right? Rachel gets the money. Halacha number three, Ruvain violates Rachel. Rachel accepts Nisairusin, Erusin, from Shimon. Bezin passes the verdict. Father of Rachel gets the money. That's the three halachas, Rabbi Beautiful. So we emerge over here with four, with really four halachas, the three that we just mentioned, and the original one, namely, that if Ruvain violates Rachel and Rachel dies, a death unrelated to the violation, ultimately there is no longer any kenas payment that he, that he is chayiv. Beautiful. Says the Mishnah. So now we're going to go ahead and we're going to go ahead and get into the discussion regarding the Mafata versus the Ma'anis. Up until now, we've been focusing on Ones, on, on the man who violates the woman. We'll say there is another parallel case of Mafata, a man who seduces a woman. So we'll say the Gemara says, the Mishnah says, Mafata, no sin shlosha dvarim, a man who seduces a woman. Pays three three buckets of three. We'll call them three things. Ba'ones arba, and the man who violates woman pays four payments. Let's analyze this. A mafata knows. So what does the mafata? What does the seducer pay? Boshes upegam ukinas. So the mafata pays boshes, which is humiliation, pegam depreciation, and kinas, which is the penalty payment. Most if I love ones shenosin esat sar. We'll say the man who violates woman pays a fourth payment, which is. Sar, pain, pain and suffering, pain and suffering. Ma bein ones lemefata. What is there seen ones lemefata? Ha ones no sin esat sar. Va mefata ino no sin esat sar. Number one difference is the ones pays for pain and suffering, which makes sense, right? The mefata, the seducer, because at the end of the day this was consensual. Ultimately, again, consensual with it with a nara. I just want to be clear. So obviously, I will say that's why there's a penalty payment. Because this man is obviously taking advantage of this girl. So again, but there's not going to be tsar. There's not going to be pain and suffering. Another interesting, a couple of interesting distinctions. Ones, if a man violates a woman, he pays the penalty payment immediately. 
immediately. Vamefate lechishiyotze. Now, what I say is interesting. The mefate, the seducer, only has to pay the penalty payment in the event of the dissolution of the marriage. Now, we're going to see what that means, because that sounds like they're automatically getting married, which is not the case. We'll see what it means. Actually, take a look at Rashi. I'm going to ruin it a little bit for you, because Rashi says it over here. Five lines up in the Bible in Rashi. L'chishiyotzi. Begimara parach atu ishtoi. I don't understand. Is, is, so we're going to see that by the mefate, by the mefate, when a man violates a woman, he has an obligation to marry her, and the violator has no choice. The father of the girl or the girl herself has a choice, but the man who violates ultimately, again, if the father or the girl want, want, to, want the marriage to proceed, the violator doesn't have a choice. In the case of the seducer, everyone has a choice. Every, everyone has a choice to make over here. So the Gemara says, the Gemara is Rashi says, but Gemara parich atu ishtohi umefarishla lechishelo yichnos dimkansa ino no sinknas. We'll say we're going to see that halachalamaisa in the case of the seducer, the only time he pays the penalty payment is if he doesn't marry her. If he marries her, ultimately again there is no penalty payment. If halachalamaisa again he does not marry her. That is when there is going to be a penalty payment. Again, we'll see this in the Gemara. Ones, we're going to see the halacha lamaisa, no matter what, there is a penalty payment. So the Gemara goes right. Ones shows So the Ones, we'll say the man who violates the woman literally drinks out of his pot, which is the metaphor for saying no matter the type of woman that he violated, he must marry her. He has a halachic obligation to marry her. But the seducer, Again, we'll see exactly what this Lushan means, I will say. But Pepashtos, what it means is the seducer has a choice about whether or not he wants to marry this woman. What does it mean that the violator has to drink out of his pot? Even if she's crippled, or she's blind, or she's covered with boils, if this is the woman who he violated, this is the woman who he is obligated to go ahead and marry. However, the Gemara says, O she'ena ru'uya lavo bekal Yisrael, lavo be Yisrael, eno rasha lekaima. There is an exception to this rule. If he violated a woman who he is not allowed to marry. Let's say Ruvain violated Rachel, and Rachel is a mamzeres. So in that case, Ruvain is not allowed to marry her, in that case, obviously, the penalty, the, right, the, the halacha does not require her to marry her. It does not require him to marry her. The Pasuk says, by the violator, she must become his wife. That presupposes that what? That a halachic marriage is permitted between Reuven and Rachel. So let's analyze what we'll say. So we'll say, one of the interesting distinctions now between Ones and Mephata, so now what we've seen is like this. The seducer pays three payments, three payments, right? Boshes, humiliation, begam, depreciation, and kinas, the penalty payment. The violator, the ones, the, the ones pays a fourth penalty payment. What's the fourth penalty payment? Tsar, pain. So both said, the Gemara has an interesting question. Tsar demai. When we say tsar, what tsar are we referring to? They both say, it sounds like a strange question, but you're going to see why the Gemara is asking it. It must be the tsar that he threw her down to the ground. The idea being over here that this obviously is a violation. So therefore, again, he, 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 he must have used force. And therefore, the act of throwing her down to the ground 
obviously caused her pain. And I said, you're going to see why, why the Gemara, there's so much, this is a much more obvious pain, right? The actual just pain of intercourse, the actual pain. So I say, you're going to see the reason that the Gemara does not automatically jump to that is because the Gemara assumes that the first act of relations is always going to be painful for a woman, right? Well, what the, the, any, the first act of relations, which ruptures the basulim, is always going to be painful. So the Gemara <coughs> seems to feel that this case, there must be some additional level of tsar. In other words, since the tsar of the Biarishona is just, so to speak, a fact that she's going to have to endure, is that that's, the Gemara assumes that maybe there's a different kind of tsar over here. That's why the Gemara doesn't start with the actual pain of intercourse, because we assume that pain is going to have to be endured at some point in time. So it's the Havamin, and maybe it's a different kind of tsar. So it's the tsar that is throwing her down to the ground. So maske for Rabbi Zerah, Okay, so what happens if he threw her down on a bed of silk? So there's no pain of being thrown down. Then what? He's going to be potter from Sar? So maybe you'll say yes. So listen to this. Rabbi Shimon ben Yehuda said to Rabbi Shimon that Ones doesn't pay Tsar. Why doesn't he pay Tsar? Because she's going to have this pain with her husband. In other words, I was saying, if you think it's about the tsar of the bia, the tsar of the bia is going to be is going to be incurred anyway, even if she were to get married. Amulah Tush the Gemara says no. Eina dome nivelas ba'onis nivelas parasa. So I was saying, the Gemara has to work through this. Chas v'shalom. I was saying, you can't compare, can't compare the the discomfort that may be experienced in the bia rishona of a secure and loving marriage with the pain of a Bia Rishona with a woman who's being violated. In other words, they're both saying, what, I just want to show you what's just happened over here, which is really quite interesting, which is that, see, and this is sometimes when we discuss sensitive issues in Gemara. So Gemara, Gemara is a book of Halacha. Halacha, all author just has to look at facts in a dispassionate way. So when the Gemara talks about the tsar of a woman being violated, the Gemara says, well, one second, from a purely analytical perspective, if we're going ahead and looking at the tsar as the tsar that a woman has from a first act of relations, well, she's going to have that tsar anyway at some point in time when she gets married. So ultimately, again, is, that can't be the tsar that we're referring to over here because the tsar of ones is something additional. To which the Gemara says, sometimes you can't look at facts dis- dispassionately. You can't look at facts dispassionately. And the Gemara says, you have to understand that the pain of a Biarishona that a woman has with her husband is going to be fundamentally different than the pain of a Biarishona that she experiences at the hands of a man who is violating her. So therefore, by definition, even though, again, Technically, one could say it falls under the same. It's two different types of tsar. To which the Gemara says, The other possibility is, Ultimately, Rabbi Rabbi says, It's the tsar of the violator spreading her legs. In other words, Rabbi the act of violation is not just about the Biarishona. 
First of all, I want to point out, none of these things are mutually exclusive. In other words, the tsar could be a composite, ultimately, again, of all of the trauma she experiences. The getting thrown down, right? The violator, for, right? Forcing himself upon her, right? Spreading her legs forcibly. The act of birishona, which is done forcibly. All of this is part of the tsar. The chinu omer, the Gemar quotes the Pasek, quoting over here the Pasek from Yecheskel, What's actually a very, uh, very strong pasuk? The Navi Yecheskel, the Navi Yecheskel goes ahead and compares Klav Yisrael to an immoral woman who is willing to have relations with any man who passes by. If that's the case, that it's the pain of the spreading of the legs. So then, Lamais again, why isn't the man who seduces a woman? Why isn't he chay for that Sarah's So I'll we'll say, th- there's there are a number of things that's happening over here. There's the fact that the man who violates the woman forces her legs apart. There's a tsar in that. The Gemara also understands that perhaps inherent in, in Bia is that the woman has an uncomfortable position. So, so even in the case of Mafuta, even in the case ultimately again of the man who seduces the woman, Perhaps by definition, there's inherent discomfort for the woman from the position she has to assume during Bia. To which the Gemara says, Here's a verse, I'll give you a mashal for a woman who's seduced. It's compared to a person who says, Cut my silk and you'll be potter. In other words, they both say, What does that mean? that sometimes it could be that even when a woman engages in a consensual act of relations, there's an element of discomfort. But because it's consensual, therefore what? She's mochel, right? She forgives any tsar that may come about. So comparable to a case of a person, I will say, if I say to you, Ruvain, come and cut, come, come, come and rip my shirt. Okay, so Ruvain damaged me, but Lamaisa what? I forgive the damage. So what's actually very interesting. So the Gemara is acknowledging that perhaps just inherent in the act of Bia is just an, an element of positional discomfort for the woman. I, so, why, why, so why isn't there tsar pain in every single time there's relations? Because ultimately, because it's consensual, even if there is some level of tsar, halacha lamaisa, again, a woman forgives, a woman is mocheles on that tsar. Tosas of Jose points out over something very interesting, which is, She's mocheles on that tsar, even though what? She never articulates that particular mechila. In general, I will say, if you're going to be mochel on something, you generally, if you're going to forgive something that you're entitled to, generally you have to articulate it. What's interesting over here is that even though a woman is not, she doesn't articulate this mechila, situationally, because she's willingly engaging in an act of relations, we understand that that mechila is in fact present. Quite amazing. So let's listen to this. The Gemara says, uh, the Gemara says, So the Gemara says, But one second, one second, that's fine. But Lamaisa will say, in these cases, remember again, she's quote unquote being mochelas, but none of these damages are coming to her. Everything is going to the father. Mefuta ein la tsar. So we'll say, Rabbi Abu says, Pichos, the wise women say, the Mefuta doesn't have tsar. 
which Abose essentially means that when a woman engages in a consensual act of relations, there's no tsar. See, the Havamina is that every act of relations always brings with it some element of tsar. Abose, tsar doesn't have to mean pain. Tsar can mean what? Discomfort. Kamash no. That when it's a consensual act of relations, it doesn't have to be any level of tsar. It's only, so therefore, mafuta, and even though, again, I will say, this is an act, remember again, to be clear, the mafuta, just because something is consensual doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's not wrong. Like in the case of the Nara, ultimately, again, this is an adult taking advantage of a young girl. It's wrong. It's wrong, even though, again, she's quote unquote giving her consent, Lemaisa, the Torah deems it as a wrongful act. But because it is quote unquote consensual, even though I will say it's hard for us to fathom how consent could be given at such a young age, and obviously I will say contemporarily, the, 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 obviously I will say this, this is a biblical framework reflecting a totally different societal setup that has absolutely no place or really no relevance in our contemporary setting. I mean, it has relevance because it's Torah, but Lamaisa, obviously we understand for, for contemporarily that a girl this age would have absolutely no valid consent. And again, for our purposes, it would be an act of pedophilia, not, not just an act of seduction or violation. Again, but le- le- leaving, leaving that aside, leaving that aside, halacha lamaisa, the Gemara understands over here, because there is an element of consent, therefore there's no tsar. Contrast that ultimately with what? Contrast that with the case of Ones, where halacha lamaisa, halacha lamaisa, there is tsar. So the Gemara says, but we see that sometimes women do have discomfort, even in a consensual act of relations. Amrabai, this is very interesting. Amrabai says, Amrabai, Amrili Aim, my mother told me, I had no idea how this conversation got started, right? <laughs> my mother told me, that when a woman has consensual relations, there might be some level of discomfort, but it's like warm water or hot water on a bald head. Okay, so I guess hot water, right? Hot water, I can't speak to this one, right? So again, right? hot water on a bald head could be, discom- could be uncomfortable, but, but it's not painful. It's not painful. So apparently Abai's mother was explaining to him, there could be some element of discomfort, some element of discomfort, but Lemaisa, again, not pain. Rava Amar, Amrili Bas, Rav Chista, Rava said, the daughter of Rav Chista said to me, the daughter of Rav Chista was Rava's wife, so Rabbi was saying, my wife told me, ki rivda dekusilta. That sometimes the discomfort is like, like, like the piercing of a, of a blood letter's needle. In other words, it, it sometimes you just like a, a, moment, a moment of discomfort, but not real pain. Not real pain. Rav Papa, Amrili Bas Rav Abba. Rav Papa said, the daughter of Rav Abba, Amrili Bas Abba, Bas Abba Sura. The daughter of Abba Sura said to me, Sometimes the discomfort is like the, the, the experience of hard bread against the palate. Sometimes if you eat hard bread, so it, it gives a little bit of discomfort on the palate, but it's not pain. So I will say, what's coming out of all of these things is that there could be some level of discomfort even in consensual relations, but it's that, it's discomfort and it's not pain. So because it's not pain, it doesn't rise to the threshold of tsar damages. We'll say we'll take something interesting about this, which is, which is that, which is that this this idea over here, especially the first one of Abayi speaking with his mother about this kind of stuff. We'll say there is an important Mr. Haskell on this, which is parents have to talk to their children about sexuality. It, it 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 is incredibly important because 
our children will learn all about the wide world of sexuality. And either they'll learn it, they'll learn it, well now they can learn it from the internet, or they'll learn it from their friends, or they'll learn it from something else. It is so much better for a parent to control the narrative. Because sometimes if you have the wrong initiation into your knowledge of sexuality, it could corrupt, it, it, it could just, it could, it could literally ruin a person, it could ruin a person. And you see from your sounds from us, Sounds weird that Abaye is discussing this with his mother. Again, I don't know if I want us to get into this level of specificity with, with their children, but Lamaisa to begin a discussion. And again, I will say, unfortunately, it really is unfortunately, it used to be that you could wait till children were a little bit older to engage them in some of these discussions. Not anymore. We live in such a highly sexualized society. Everything is sexualized. And everywhere we go, see, most of us just become a little bit like numb to it because we experience it and we see it everywhere. But Lamaise said it's so incredibly important to talk to our children about these inyanim. Because if we don't control the narrative, someone else will. It's the most rascal from the Gemara. The Gemara goes weiter. Ha'onis no sinniyad. I'm a fact that shows it. I just want to point out the takeaway message. The takeaway message of this is that Lamaise, again, the first distinction between Ones and Mephata is that Ones has a, pe- a penalty for tsar, pain and suffering. Pain and suffering, Mephata does not. Next, next. Ha'onis no sinniyad. See, the Ones has to pay the penalty payment immediately. The Mephata, the Chishiyotzi, and I was in the Chishiyotzi, sounds like when he divorces her. You are the Chishiyotzi, Ishtohi, I don't understand. That makes it sound like the Mephata immediately marries the girl. Is that true? Rabbi Ima, the Chishilo Yichnos. No, no, Rabbi, so here's what it means, Rabbi, say. What it means is like this If the Mephata, if the Mephata marries the girl, then he doesn't have to pay the penalty payment. If he doesn't marry the girl, then he has to pay the penalty payment. Tying the Mephata that supports this. Even though we said that the Mephata ultimately pays the penalty payment, when he decides not to marry her, Boshas Upegam no Sein Miyad. was very interesting. There are, there are different buckets of payments over here. So I will say the penalty payment, in the case of seduction, the penalty payment is only paid in the event that he doesn't marry her. If he does marry her, he does not have to pay that payment. But the other payments, what are the other payments? Boshes and Pegam, humiliation and depreciation, those have to be paid immediately. Those are paid immediately. And both in the case of Onis and Mephata, this is very interesting. In both the case of Onis and Mephata, both the girl, he, the girl, and her father have the ability to block the marriage. So we'll say, let's analyze this. So we'll say, so now let's just, let's just, let's get our facts in order because it's very important. So number one we've established is that Allah Chalamaisa, the payments for Ones are Tsar, Boshas, Pigam, and Kinas, right? Penalty payments, right? Those are the four. For now, Mifuta, it's everything minus Tsar. So it's Boshas, Pegam, and Kinas. But again, there's difference between the Kinas by Ones and Mephata. By Ones, when does he have to pay the Kinas? Does he have to pay the Kinas? Immediately. By Mephuta, by Mephata, the seducer, he only has to pay the Kinas if when? He doesn't marry her. But if he does marry her, apparently he does not have to pay the Kinas. Now, okay, let's delve a little deeper. What about the marriage itself? So the Gemara says, both in the case of Ones and Mephata, 
either the girl or the father have the right to say no. We don't want the marriage. We don't want the marriage. So let's analyze. When it comes to the seducer, it says, Pasek says, if the father will refuse to give his daughter to the seducer as a wife, I only know ultimately that the father has the ability to go ahead and object, to go ahead and... That the father has the ability to go ahead and object. Sorry. To go ahead and object. He atzma minayin. How do I know that ultimately, again, the girl has the ability to object as well? Talmud lomar yimayin mikom makom. There was a Torah's version of yimayin. Object. Object. So in any situation, in other words, whoever objects, she, he has the right to object, she has the right to object, they both have the right to object. Allah ones. So we'll say, so that's by mefuta. Stabai Mefuta, I understand that both the girl and her father have the ability to object. Ela Ones, what about the case of violation? Bishlama Ihi, I understand that she has the ability to object. Ksiv, Velosihia, the Pasik says, she will be to him as a wife. Midaito, it means she has to consent. And if she doesn't consent, then Lamaisa, again, no marriage. Ela Abiyaminal, how do we know that in the case of Ones of violation? That the father has the right to go ahead and object to marriage. We'll say, sec, first wide line, first wide line, Lamitas on the base, Amrabaye, Shaloyehe Chote Niskar. The boss said, this is very interesting. How, would, how do we know that the father has the ability to object? In order that a sinner not benefit. In other words, the boss said, because listen to this. Let's say, if, if the father would not have the right to object to the marriage, the boss, you know what that would mean? That would mean that a man who really wants to marry a woman, but what? But what? My father is objecting to it. So what could, the, what, could the, what could the guy do? He could violate her, and now again, the father has no say in the marriage. That doesn't make any sense. Others both say, so to allow the violator to marry this girl without the father having a say would reward a person for bad behavior. So Rav Amrava says it's a kavachomer. It's a kavachomer. Uma mefata shalo avar ela al-dasabiha. Both in the case of mefata, where again, we'll call him ruvein, only when again, it's the das of the father. I will say, why do you only go against the dust of the father? Because since this is a case of seduction, therefore what? There was consent on behalf of the girl. So, nevertheless, in that case, both the girl and her father have the ability to object to the marriage. All the more so, ones. But I will say, the violator, right? The violator has gone against the das of the girl and her father. Certainly, the father has the ability to object. So, they're both saying, it's interesting. Both Abai and Rava are agreeing. Well, as well say they're agreeing on the principle. What's the principle? That both in the case of Mefuta and now in the case of Ones, both father and daughter have the ability to object. Just Halakha Lamaisa, this is now we're dealing in the case of Ones, Halakha Lamaisa, they're arguing about how we reach that conclusion. According to Abaye, the way we reach the conclusion is Shaloi Hechote Nisker. A sinner should not be rewarded. Rava says from Akal Bechomer. So Rabbi lo Amar Kabaye, Rabbi doesn't say Kabaye. Why? Kevin the Kamashayim Knas Lo Chote Niskarhu. Rabbi will say since the violator has to pay a penalty, so Lamaisa again that's not called Chote Niskar. Ultimately, the violator is not being rewarded. Abaye lo Amar Kerava. Abaye doesn't say like Rabbi. Why not? Mefate diihu matzim maakev avia nami matzim maakev. So I will say in the case of Mefuta, the case of Mefate or Mefate, I should say. Excuse me. It was in the case of Mefate. Even the seducer himself, right? Ruben himself has the ability to say, I don't want to enter into this marriage. 
So if Reuven has the ability to go ahead and object, certainly what? The, the, the father has the ability to object. So says, But in the case of Ones, where again, the violator doesn't have the ability to object, Perhaps the father doesn't have the ability to object as well. Tanya Idach, so again, before we get to that, so therefore, again, interestingly enough, interestingly enough, everyone is agreeing on the bottom line conclusion. They're just disagreeing about how to get there. So let's, let's reinforce this. So therefore, both in the case of Ones and Mephata, both the girl and the husband, sorry, both the girl and the father have the ability to object to the marriage. Now here's the distinction. What about the perpetrator? What about the perpetrator? So I'll say that depends. In the case of Ones, the perpetrator does not have a say. If the girl and the father want the marriage to occur, then he has to get married. In the case of Mephata, in the case of seduction, ultimately the perpetrator has the ability to go ahead and object to the marriage as well. Incredible. Tanya Idok, so the Gemara is another bride. Sa'afapisha Amru, Ones no sinyad, kishiyotse, who ain't la alav klom. So I'll say this means this. Even though we said that Allah Khalamaisa, in a case of where a man violates a woman, Allah Khalamaisa has to pay the penalty payment immediately. Nevertheless, if he divorces her, ain't la alav klom. She has no claim for a ksuba against him. Sigmar says, Kishiyotzi, mi matzi mafikla. One second, he's not allowed to divorce her. Right? I will say, part of the halacha over here is once a man violates a woman, he's obligated to marry her. And what? He's never permitted to divorce her. So what do you mean when he divorces her, there's no ksuba? Ema, kishetetse, he, ain't la alav klom. No, what I mean, Sigmar says like this. This is very interesting. If she decides to leave the marriage, so Ruvain violates Rachel, Ruvain violates Rachel, and now what happens? They're married, right? They get married. They get married. So we'll say, so remember again, let's just go through the progression over here. Ruvain violates Rachel. What's the first order of business when Ruvain violates Rachel? First order of business? First order of business? Pays her the knas. After that, what's the next order of business? Sar, Boshas, Pagam. Right? right? Then they get married. Assuming that Halacha Lamaisa, assuming that Halacha Lamaisa, she wants to get married, the father wants them to get married, they get married. They get married. Okay? Now we'll say, what's the status of their marriage? They're never allowed to get divorced. Meaning what? He's not allowed to divorce her. But if she wants to leave the marriage, can she leave the marriage? Can she leave the marriage? Absolutely. What have we just learned about saying? When she leaves the marriage, there's no ksuba. There's no ksuba. Apparently, Rabbi said, what we almost look at it in halacha is the knas is the ksuba. The knas is the ksuba. So therefore, should she choose to leave the marriage, halacha lamay says no ksuba. Mace, what happens if he dies? Now she's a widow. So Yatsa Kesaf Knasa Biksubasa. See what Debo say. Ultimately again, the money of her Ksuva, the money of her Ksuva ultimately again took the form of the Knas. Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Huda Omer, Yeshla Ksuva. Rabbi Yosef says, no, she has a Ksuva. She absolutely has a Ksuva. To which the Gemara says, what are they arguing about? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeshla Ksuva Mana. She has a Ksuva of a Mana. Rabbi say, a Mana is like a what? Like a second marriage, like a second marriage Ksuva. So my plea, what are they arguing about? Rabbanan Savri, Taima Maitakin Rabbanan Ksuva, why did Chazal institute a Ksuva? Kadeshilote Kala Be'inov Lahotsia. Rabbanan say, why did Chazal institute a Ksuva? Because they didn't want a man to be flippant about divorcing his wife. 
So now that there's Ksuba, he's going to think twice before he divorces Rabosai. This doesn't apply in this case. Why? Why? Because well, so in the case of the Ma'anis, in the case of the man who violates the woman, he's not allowed to divorce her. So therefore, there's no need for a Ksuba. It's natural. Because even though he can't technically divorce her, nevertheless, what? He can make life so miserable for her that she's going to say, fine, I want out. To prevent him from doing that, Rabbi Yisrael Yehuda says, Halacha he has to pay her a ksuba. Say if Rabbi Yisrael Halacha how do we paskin? So Rabbi Yisrael, we paskin that Halacha there is no ksuba in these type of marriages. That Halacha again, once he marries her, essentially the knas takes the form of the ksuba, which Rabbi Yisrael to a certain degree is even advantageous, because Halacha now, whereas the ksuba is a lien, the knas is actual payment right now in addition to all the other damages. But the knas takes the form ultimately again of the ksuva, and therefore upon death or divorce, there would be no ksuva. We also have to stop over here. We also say incredible, overwhelming, fantastic Gimara tomorrow with Musa, with halacha. No, I got it, but a lot of hashkafa. We also say shkoyach.